The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. is the uh, joys of ministry. Go into a weekend thinking um, thinking you brought up the right notes and oh, there they are. Whew. That would have been rough. But anyways, uh, obviously uh, being here is, is a great delight. You know, I bring Greetings from Cody and RGC, and uh, we also keep you guys in prayer weekly as well. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 81. would like to talk about Thanksgiving tonight. That is going to be happening later this week on a grand uh, feast-filled day, and hopefully that is not the only day we give thanks, but it is certainly one that we do. Psalm 81 Please follow along as I read to the choir master, according to the Getith of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine and the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the noonday at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute in Israel a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in a secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to me, excuse me, but did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn their hand against their foes. Excuse me, turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate Yahweh would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Gracious Lord, we ask you to satisfy us tonight, that in the reading of the word and the preaching of it, we would have our eyes again riveted on our Lord by the work of the Spirit to the pleasure of the Father, and we would be truly satisfied in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you all know the Thanksgiving story. Puritans and pilgrims from England and Holland 
sail to New England, where they would begin a new life free from religious persecution. And approximately a year later, they would celebrate the autumn harvest feast, now considered the first Thanksgiving. And that is the shortest, most succinct, controversial free definition of the first Thanksgiving. And for many of us, Thanksgiving is rooted then in a moment, in an event. A moment of harvest and cooperation between two people groups. We even find that it is Thanksgiving grounded in the accomplishment of what men can do together when they work together. But for the Christian, our giving thanks is quite different. We are certainly thankful for what we have in terms of an earthly country, but we are not about giving thanks for what we can do together. We can't do much together. We are thankful for a much more profound reason. And the Christian's gratitude, of course, is not just a seasonal week, you know, in autumn or in fall or kind of winter up here, I guess, but it's perpetual. The Christian is perpetually giving thanks for what he or she has. Not only earthly things, but also heavenly privileges. Now, the gratitude we know. We know we should be thankful. We know we should be cheerful and grateful for what we have. We live in a fairly free country. We are inundated with many wonderful blessings, earthly blessings. and. Sometimes we find ourselves needing to move ourselves to be grateful, to motivate ourselves to be grateful, to almost work up to gratitude and convince ourselves that we need to be grateful. And maybe we even do this around the table coming up on Thursday, and some of us sheepishly don't even know what to be grateful for. We might just take so many things for granted. But Psalm 81, excuse me, Psalm 84 no, 81, shows us a much more profound reason to be grateful. This actually has three reasons to be grateful. There are going to be two that I go through fairly quickly. And the third one I want to camp on for quite a while here. But Psalm 81 is an interesting psalm. Most psalms have a human author, and that human author is speaking to the Lord, whether in praise or confession, in prayer or some kind of supplication. Psalm 81 is different in that is it is mainly God talking. And it is talking to his people about what he does for them. So first notice here that Thanksgiving arises from God's decree. Thanksgiving should arise from God's command. Look there in the verses of Verses 1 to 5, we have these commands, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy, raise a song, sound the tambourine, blow the trumpet. These are all commands. And then we have a very brief reason why God is giving the command, because it is a statute for Israel, a rule for the God of Jacob. Most times we think about rules as fairly ho-hum, humdrum, these are things i got to do in my parents' house to not get grounded or something. The rule from God is praise. He commands praise. 
he made it a decree in Joseph. So you see the connection there. Verses 1 through 3 have the commands. Verses 4 and 5 say, this is why. God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of thanksgiving. God, God decrees worship. Just as he decreed your salvation, he also decrees your thanksgiving. And it is appropriate response to what he has done. In fact, uh, in Luke 17, there's a wonderful little story about ten lepers. Jesus is walking. Ten lepers come into the town. Actually, Jesus is walking into the town. The ten lepers say, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. Right? Unclean, unclean. And you know the story. Ten asked to be healed. Ten are healed. One actually stays and gives thanks to God. But at the, at the very beginning of that section, you actually have a reason for why he gives that story, whether it's a parable or an actual account or not. It is the very minimum of what God is asking us to do. He saves us. He pardons us. He forgives us. He, he lavishes upon us much grace. And all he says is, give me thanks. You couldn't have done this on your own. Give me thanks. So there is one reason why we should be thankful, because God decrees it. Another reason why we should be thankful is because thankfulness, thanksgiving, arises from redemption. Thanksgiving arises from redemption. Look at verses 6 to 10. I relieved your shoulder from the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in a secret place of thunder. Hear, O oh my people, while I admonish you. O oh Israel, if you but listen to me, be, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. So here is a situational reason for thanksgiving. Israel Asaph is hearkening back to their time in Egypt, a horrible time, objectively horrible, even though they want to go back. <laughs> but they're thinking about Egypt. Asaph says, this is where we were. We were in slavery. We were in bondage. We were being commanded and yelled at by Pharaoh, a, a wicked tyrant. Get back to your burdens. Get back to your work. That was the slave master of Israel. And that's where they were. And the Lord pulled them out of there. How did he care for them? Well, he relieved their shoulder from the burden, the burden of building bricks without straw. And you know the story as how Pharaoh not only told them to make those bricks, but then he told them to achieve the same quota even though they're not going to be given a straw anymore. And then they had to go through the fields and pick with their very small fingernails the very stubble of the straw that was sticking out of their ground, even though it had already been harvested. It was a burden. It was slavery and hard and miserable. And God says, I relieved your shoulder from that burden. And your hands were freed from the basket. In distress, you called and I delivered you. You remember in, in chapter 2 of Exodus how this infanticide is going on, this miserable slavery is going on. And in chapter 2 of Exodus, they cry out and they, they
they're, they groan and it reaches heaven and, and the Lord hears and he comes and he delivers them through Moses. They were in distress. He answered. And then it says in verse 10, he, he brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And you know all the plagues, all 12, starting with Moses's, excuse me, from Aaron's staff, swallowing up the magician's staff, to the very last miracle, the Red Sea. All 12. I know that's 10 typically, but you got to keep in mind all of these things going on in a matter of maybe weeks, maybe months. And he powerfully brought them up. And you wonder, like, up. Why is, it, why is the Bible always saying he's brought the, bringing them up out of Egypt? It is no doubt down in comparison to Jerusalem, a higher point in the land of Canaan, but also up, arising out of this, this pit, this despair. They are brought up. God says, I brought you up at the land of Egypt. So here's another reason. Israel can be thankful. We can be thankful. Because we have a redeemer. We have a sure redeemer. And just as Israel was in slavery to Egypt, so we know how that is pictured throughout the Bible, that we were in slavery to sin. We were in Egypt. We had the devil, our master, our father. And a powerful Redeemer bringing us up out of slavery. And we could be thankful for that. These are groundbreaking, profound reasons to be grateful. But often we just say, I know I should be thankful. I'm just not. I'm just not that thankful. Now that's a whole other issue. But the last reason is an incredible reason to be thankful. Thankfulness not only arises out of, a, out of a decree because God says, you should thank me. Not only because he delivers us, but also because of God's disposition towards miserable, can't help themselves sinners. But my people, verse 11, did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate Yahweh would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. The pronouns change. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This is God's disposition, which is the ultimate ground for our thanksgiving. There are a lot of reasons to be thankful. Some of those reasons might go away. You could be thankful for a marriage, children house, fulfilled a hunting tag. You'd be thankful for a lot of good things. Gifts, truly good things. What are you going to do when they're taken away? Are you not going to be thankful? No, no, there's a still very profound reason to be thankful. 
because there is a Lord who is gracious and generous and desires to satisfy people who don't want him. This psalm isn't entirely about thanksgiving. It is most definitely, though, a psalm about the Lord doing most of the talking, telling his people, even though you're not grateful, you have every single reason to be. Every single reason to be. So God here is not pictured as some cold, distant, indifferent deity, but a a God who is full of delight, who is full of good intentions and love, and he desires to fill his people with himself. Should we praise and thank God because he commands it? Absolutely. Because he saves us? Absolutely. But notice what God seeks to do here. Not just give a cold command, not just give people a reason, but he actually has an emotional appeal to his people to say, this is why you should be thankful. Because I am a God who desires to satisfy you. You don't even know what you want to be satisfied with. I know you, and I know what would exactly satisfy you, and I will do it for you. Not only there in verses 11 to 16, but also in 8. Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me. Verse 10. Open your mouth wide. And I will fill it. Verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. And of course, the last verse. He desires to satisfy us with the finest of wheat and honey from the rock. God is eager. Eager to satisfy you. He is eager to satisfy you. Now, we might think, well, this just proves that God is, is he's not sovereign. He's, he's limited by people's decisions. Well, people's decisions do definitely uh, affect their walk with the Lord. But the Lord is not limited by anything. The point is not actually what God wants to do, but the people don't want to, and so he can't give it. No, the point is actually, he is so desirous to give that he is showing he is desirous to give to them even though they're disobedient. So here we have a psalm in which God's people are commanded to do wonderful things, give thanks, give praise. But they're not known. They don't have a track record of doing that very thing. They have a track record of complaining, grumbling, committing idolatry. And you have the Lord saying, if you but listen to me, you don't know the error of your ways. If you would open up your mouth wide, I would gladly fill it. I would subdue your enemies if you would but walk in my ways. No, this isn't a psalm about how God is limited. This is a psalm to show how committed to satisfying his people God is, even though they are rebellious against him. 
He is ready to bless. How do you view God? Do you view him as if he's just looking for a reason to be mad at you? Or a Lord who is eager, a father who knows exactly what his child needs and is ready to give it. I wonder how much of this was going through our Lord's mind when he when he weeps over Jerusalem. He's continued his ministry for some time. And he sees Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You are full of murderers. I would gladly deliver you. Now, God's deliverance doesn't stop at man's disobedience. Otherwise, there would be no deliverance. But the highlight here is the disposition of God. He desires to convince his people. You might even say charm his people by his own goodness. Can we think too highly of God's goodness? I don't think so. I don't think so. Even if you come from a home with a wonderful, godly, generous dad, we often have some idea of of thinking, oh, well, then the Lord in heaven must be like my dad. And he's way, way different. Mainly better. (laughs) But this this is the Lord. He's giving them no reason why they should not give him thanks. Stated positively, he's giving them every single reason why they should be thankful for him. Things are going to come and go. Gifts are going to come and go. But what will not come and go is a God who does not change, who is omnipresent, always with his people, and desires to satisfy them. We are, I think, far too unaware of Satan's hooks in us to convince us that God is less good than he actually is good. Some of the, personally speaking, some of the hardest things I think I see in the scripture is, is God as good as the Bible says? Is God really that good? Surely he must be, there must be a chink in that goodness where there's some flaw. No. He really is that good. Oh, no, no, no. He, he can't be that good. He must wait for me to o- obey. He must, he must want to hear me pray a certain way. God's heart towards sinners, unconverted, and dis- disobedient Christians is the same. He desires to give you good things. Our problem is that we are in a constant state of refusal. I don't want it. I don't want it. I think your good things, Lord, aren't so good. But he withholds nothing good from the people who walk uprightly. He would happily subdue our enemies, put down our foes, give victory over sin, fill our mouths with heavenly manna, Feed us with the best of the best of food and satisfy us with honey out of the rock. All of these point to the abundant generosity of God. You're going to have a spread probably on your living room table, uh, excuse me, dining room table. Maybe you have to move that depending how the 
home is overflowing. You're going to have a spread probably. And it's going to have everything there maybe. You know, I don't know what your Thanksgivings are like. It's going to be a bounty. There's going to be an abundance of food. And in the very similar parallel, the Lord desires to lay before his people a good bounty, a good harvest where they are to just enjoy it. Yes, God commands this. Enjoy me and enjoy my gifts. So all of these verses, yeah, they point to God's generosity. They point to the highest quality of gifts he bestows. And they point to the utmost satisfying gifts that he bestows. These gifts are not marriage. They're not hobbies. They're not children. They're not employment. These are not the finest. The very finest of gifts are the same as the source of the gift, the Lord. When we come to verse 16, we can't help but know Asaph is speaking beyond himself. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Who else, what else is the finest of wheat other than our heavenly manna, the Lord? Who else is our rock who pours forth sweetness other than our Lord? When God says, I am happy to satisfy you, he definitely means some earthly trinkets. But abounding way more than that is this. I would satisfy you with myself. I will bring you in to the great love and joy and delight which the Trinity has. Jesus speaks that way in John 17. That they would be one. And not only they would stop bickering, (laughs) but also that we would be one Sharing the love the Father has with the Son, the Son has with the Father, and swept up into that. That being salvation. So when God says, I'll feed you, I'll satisfy you with this, with himself. With himself. And that ground of object can be producing thanksgiving, whether you have no earthly gifts, little earthly gifts, a lot of earthly gifts, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Because the, the source and the ground of your thanksgiving is the same. And nothing can take away from you the Lord who has covenanted himself to be your God and you will always be his people. I want to conclude by going back to a verse I skipped over. The last line of verse 5. I hear a language I had not known. The gospel is a strange language. Grace is a strange language. 
our ideas of gift and merit are not God's ideas. We have to have, not only upon conversion, but upon every day of our Christian life, a reset of what it means to be delighting in the Lord based on grace and not based on merit. When Asaph says, I hear a language I had not known, or I should say when he writes that, commentators are all over the map. Is this Asaph? Because he's talking about the Egyptians, a foreign language. Or is this the Lord speaking? He had not heard this language of language of ingratitude. It doesn't matter. The language of true gospel thanksgiving is very strange to us naturally. We have to be convinced again and again that God is as good as he says he is. I know there are parents in this room. And how mind-numbingly challenging is it to convince your children you plan on giving them something good even though they don't deserve it? It's difficult. Now, there's no challenge for the Lord. But we sure do make it hard for him sometimes, if we could. But this is the language of the gospel, that God, despite man's disobedience and or the Christian's disobedience, eagerly desires to satisfy you. That's the gospel. And that is truly a language we have not known until the Lord opens our ears to it. He knows you. He knows what you need. And this most generous, benevolent father gives you accordingly. I started off by saying that Thanksgiving is something we have to often work up to, convince ourselves, oh, right, yeah, I should be thankful. You know, Kyle, why are you always complaining? Be thankful for what you have. That's sometimes what we like to do, right? Come on, be grateful. I think 81 is teaching us we should talk to ourselves less and listen to the Lord more. He desires to satisfy his people. And he satisfies us with his very son, who is who's the finest of wheat and honey out of the rock. Let's pray. Gracious Father, forgive us for our low thoughts of you. Forgive us for attributing to you callousness, mean-spiritedness, merit-based goodness. Forgive us deeply for those things. Wash us and remind us that you are a fountain of living water, truly a fountain filled with blood who desires to cleanse us from all of our sin. Remind us of your goodness, and may that be the bedrock of our thanksgiving. That way we would always be thankful for what we have, because we always have you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.